Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. I'm Pastor Chad. So you and I have a very, very different overview of judges. Shocking. <laughs> and, and, and it was interesting, though, for me to hear it as, as a book of hope. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can get that, where it's God keeps showing up to, to like help them out of their mess yeah. that they keep getting into. So, so confessional moments, you know, I really I cracked open the Lutheran study Bible and was like, all right, here's a nice little overview. Snippet. So it's like background and stuff of the book of Judges. And, and I admit, I was like, huh, a book of hope. Because, I mean, if, so if you know nothing about the book of Judges, right, like you like, don't know anything. And I'll be honest, I think for most of the congregation, like, one person said, well, last time I opened the book of Judges is whenever it showed up in my devotional. And again, I don't know how often the book of Judges shows up in a devotional. Right. I mean, if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, Probably not very often. Right. So I'm like, okay, so if you just hear Judges, the word Judges and Judgment doesn't, isn't hopeful. No. Like, those two things do not equate. So I'm, like, flipping through, and I'm like, okay, let's read this summary. And, and I usually do, regardless. Um, so I don't with the Gospels. You know, Exodus, I don't. But, like, some of the more, I'm going to say obscure. I don't know that that's the right word. But the less familiar, the less familiar books of the Bible, um, hey, what's the, what's the overview? Because we've learned over the years that, Unless it's a really, 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 really super common story, people aren't often as familiar with it right. as we might think. So, for instance, a number of years ago, the story of David and Bathsheba came up. We thought that was a pretty familiar story. Yeah. And there were a number of people like, oh, my God, I never, I never heard that story before. It's like, oh. Well, they never heard it before, one, because you don't preach on it. Well, unless you're here. <laughs> unless, unless you're us. <laughs> right. And, and the other thing you don't I, I don't think that comes up in the lectionary, in the revised common lectionary. Not the revised. Either. It comes up in the narrative. Right. Yeah. Um, so for, for many people, they, never, they well, never heard that story before. Well, and the reality is, let's face it, even if it does come up in the revised common, um, it's not preached on. Yeah, it'd be stupid to preach on it. Yeah. So we yeah. do. Hi. Yeah. Hi. We do. Hello. Um. Well, and for me, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, it was just sort of the having read the book of Judges, hearing it be, it's a book of hope. I kind of went, what? <laughs> and then you're like, it's full of all these heroes. And I'm like, well, heroes kind of a loose term. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, for me, if I had been, it, you know, saying, okay, here's my, my 80,000 uh, foot, you know, overview of what, what we're going to talk about here um, regarding what the book of Judges is, I would have said it was kind of a commentary on what not to do in terms of, of what they were, the problem with the book of Judges is that it it, it starts out okay. I mean, it starts out, and, and, and Deborah's story is very early on. Yep. It's in uh, chapter 4. So it's early on when Israel is still able to do, you were talking about how 
you know, amazing it was that, that she was able to bring all these tribes together, unite them, whatever, you know, against their kind of common foe, um, the, yep. the Canaanites. And see, and part of the, the sort of the, the cycle of judges is you have, um, they decide to follow other gods like other nations, and then the other nations come and oppress them, and then they cry out because of their oppression, and God comes and frees them by raising someone up to, you know, take care of the other nation that's oppressing them. And then they, quote, do evil in the sight of the Lord, which is to then again go and follow these other gods that leads to their oppression. And it's just this ongoing cycle that just gets worse and worse as you get through the, the book of Judges. And Deborah is at the beginning where things are still pretty good from the standpoint of, um, and, and one of the fascinating things about um, Deborah is that not only is she a judge and a military leader, she is the only judge mentioned in the entire book of Judges that is also called a prophet. Yep. So she has a distinction um, that separates her not just by her gender being kind of an oddity, um, but also she is the only prophet that is named a judge uh, until you get to Samuel, who isn't mentioned in the book of Judges. Right. So book of Judges, though, is then this kind of spiral where you start out with this, this ability to unify to the kind of the very last part of Judges is they descend into a civil war and nearly destroy one of their own tribes. So what you're saying is <laughs> <laughs> that looks a lot like now. Uh, maybe, possibly, yeah. You know, it's this... this it, I, so I lived in Gettysburg for th two, three years. I lived in Gettysburg for three years, and I don't think I've heard, I heard the term civil war as much in Gettysburg as I have over the last four years, three years. And not historical. And having had the, I don't know, privilege, pleasure, whatever, of living in Gettysburg, and we love Gettysburg. Gettysburg is a really, if you've never been to Gettysburg, it's a really neat town, especially if you're a history person, it, you, it should be on your bucket list. Um, Gettysburg Seminary during the Civil War um, was, so, you're, so the Battle of Seminary Ridge, like in the Battle of Gettysburg, the Battle of Seminary Ridge, well, it's called Seminary Ridge for a reason. Like there was a, Seminary, seminary there. there. Um, <laughs> so the, the, old, the dorm building of the seminary um, was a hospital during the Civil War. So literally, the wounded and the dead and the dying were brought to the seminary, seminary ridge and were tended to there and died there. And so, you know, in my time at seminary, the, the building, they actually turned into a museum, and a lot of that museum centered around uh, the medical field, the medical operations of the, of the Battle of Gettysburg, because that's where it took place. Um, and they give haunted tours, don't they? 
They give lots of haunted tours. Now, the president's house on campus is said to be haunted. And uh, Dr. Michael Cooper White, who was a president of the seminary while I was there, um, would tell, told a few stories about odd things happening, um, unexplained things happening in the house. He's a seminary professor, old dude, loved Dr. Michael Cooper White. Um, I don't think it was one of those uh, BS stories just for... You know, just shock value. Yeah, hey, let's gather around, have a glass of wine and a beer, and I'm going to tell you some... Gather around the campfire. I'm going to make up some, some weird campfire stories. It yeah. really wasn't his shtick. Um, and it was a bit odd, you know, as you're, you know, walking through campus at night to have people come through on segways doing uh, ghost tours or walking on, walking on seminary grounds doing ghost tours. Um, but, I mean, hey, it was a thing. Um, so this, this idea of, of civil war... Um, should be scary and alarming. Yeah. You know, if yeah, it's this, and it's so ugly. I mean, it's such a, it's um, one of the last stories when you get to like Judges 19 is this horrible story. It's actually very reminiscent of um, the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And what winds up happening is this, this Levite um, has a concubine or wife, depending on how you translate it, that has fled and gone up to um, Galilee, um, that area. And so he goes up there, gets her, um, and decides to come back and is passing through an area called Gibeon, which is Benjamin, uh, owned by the Benjaminites. Benjaminites, um, tribe of Benjamin, <laughs> yeah. uh, and what, you know when they get there, it's kind of known as a rough town, um, and like they've been sitting in the city gate for a while. That's how you you like if you were a visitor, you didn't go, there were there were no places that you went to just like rent a room or something like that. There were no um, hotels, motels, that kind of thing. So you waited in the city gates for somebody to basically offer to let you stay with them. And they were there almost all day long waiting for somebody to offer until finally this guy who actually was from the tribe of Judah saw them and was like, oh, hey, come stay with me. Um, It's kind of dangerous (laughs) to sit out here. Well, same thing that happens in in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, The men of the town come, knock, say, give us this man um, so that we can abuse him. (laughs) So, you know, that we can um, uh, rape him, etc. And so what they do instead is throw out the concubine, who is then um, basically gang raped to death. And next morning, opens the door, finds her dead on the doorstep. He cuts up her body and sends the body parts to the other tribes and says, we need to go after, we we need to get revenge on Benjamin for um, what's happened. And so they go and they do this and they almost completely destroy the tribe of Benjamin. And then they sit there and go, oh, woe is us, one of our tribe, you know, one one of our tribes is nearly extinct how did this happen? And it's like, well, you literally just, okay. 
<laughs> so then they go and steal the women and and I mean it's just this horrifying kind of thing and the usually the way it's viewed is the book of Ruth then is kind of the counter to the book of Judges of you have the righteous foreigner in Ruth who comes and says because she was during the time of the Judges. I, I, she, I know we've both said this before um, the Bible is not pristine and pretty and rainbows, puppy dogs, and unicorns. There's some gruesome... Um, some awful stuff. Unholy stuff in the Bible because, yes, the Bible's about God, New Testament about Jesus. It's also about humanity. But it's about humanity. and How we suck. Humanity is <laughs> messy and... It always has been. Like, this isn't yeah. a new... Um... These are, to me, it's one of those things where these are, these are cautionary tales. These are, these are words of warning that we do not learn from. Yeah. I think that's the frustrating part is we do not yeah. learn from them. Yeah. When, pe when people do all the woe is me, the, the world today, society today, I'm like, have you read scripture? Yeah. Like, you know what they were doing then? Like, uh, yeah. that wasn't yeah. all happy. And, yeah. And I mean, even the story of Deborah, if we want to get, you know, into that, it's, it's okay. Um, you can lift it up as that <laughs> um, wonderful part of her being able to unite. But then there's some, some interesting stuff that happens in how they finally, like, defeat Sisera. Um, and it involves another woman. Um, her name is Jael. Um, J-A-E-L. And... Basically, she's kind of caught in between these two kingdoms. She's caught between the Israelites and she's caught between um, the Canaanites. Because she's, she's neither. I can't remember what she is. She's a Kenite or something like that. I don't know. Some other, you know, tribe, faction, whatever. But anyway, she's caught kind of in between these two power um, groups. And when Sisera is fleeing... Um, she invites him into her tent, and he thinks he's basically going to get refuge there. And instead, she drives a stake, depending on how you translate it, she drives a stake either through his temple or through the back of his throat, like through his mouth, through his, into his... I mean, either way, that's yeah, not Either that way, pleasant. it's gross and, and whatever. Um, point is, she kills him. And basically hands the victory then over to Deborah. So when Deborah makes the comment about... Um, you know, the victory will go to a woman, not a man. She's not necessarily even talking about herself from the standpoint of Jael really becomes kind of the, the other heroine in this story where if it isn't for her getting rid of Sisera, um, you know, then he would have been able to go back kind of and, and rally the troops, so to speak, and come back and whatever. Well, she puts an end to that. Because she makes a decision of who she's going to support and decides that maybe the Israelites are better than the Canaanites and um, makes that choice. So you've got women acting in, in, in what, what I call <laughs> women behaving like men. <laughs> right. Where... Our, our, our norm is not to be that kind of violent. Um, well, and I think... But, but these stories are when women do, do act that way. 
um, when they're, they're kind of backed into a corner and find no other way out, it's, okay, well, fine, I will do this. Yeah, it, so, so maybe that is a, um, an issue of gender stereotyping, right? Right. Um, and I, I'm, not, I'm never a fan of that. Uh, and I think part of it for me, I always got... It, it always bothered me, I think partially because I was a single dad. Right. Um, so as a single dad, you don't really have the luxury to say, well, mom will do that. Right. Or whatever. So um, even, even today, uh, being married, I mean, I do, the, I do the bulk of our cooking, which is typically the stereotypical, that's the female, that's, a, that's woman's work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I, I never, I always hate those, those gender stereotype things. I know they're there, um, and especially in scripture. Right. Because it was sort of forced that way. I mean, it's possible that, I mean, go figure. I mean, maybe women could be great warriors. They just weren't given an opportunity. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not like David was, it's not like David was Goliath, right? It's not like David was this huge dude um, that was just bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. Right. Um, So, I mean, if you take that, I mean, David was a boy. Could a woman not have slain Goliath? Yeah. Absolutely. Using the exact same method. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and it's kind of more along the lines of, you know, when I was saying this is it's the social setting of the time period, um, that it was unique and unusual for a woman, you know, under, under what we would call normal patriarchal systems would probably not have been in that position. Right. Um, but given there was no centralized form of government um, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, these, these roles weren't as well defined. And um, but it's remarkable that people followed her. Yeah. I mean, well, they went to her and, and, and like I said, and, and again, interesting that she is um, also a prophet. And, you know, basically the only comparable judge would be Samuel, who's kind of important. <laughs> So, so I, I was not compelled by her prophet label. Not that, not that I don't think it's important. Um, you're, not, you're not a woman in ministry trying to... Um, no, don't give me that crap. Um, I am going to give you that. Because no, because I, I wasn't compelled by it in the context of the story. Be- right. Because for me, it's not an issue, right? And also... Because I wonder how much of the profit label was at the time or in retrospect. Yeah. Well, so at the time, the fact that she's actually is gathering and collecting people together and is able to build this consensus and has people listening to her and following her, that, for me, was the part. And I think part of it is, is putting it in the historical context. Well, and you have to realize how she did it, though, as well, compared to how her male counterparts did it. Um, she doesn't really question God. Right. 
Um, she doesn't really do anything that God would view as, quote, inappropriate at the time. Right. Um, she didn't construct a golden idol like Gideon. She doesn't make a hasty or reckless vow um, that brings about the death of her own child like Jephthah does. Um, she doesn't enact her own personal vengeance on her enemies like Samson does. Um, I mean, she just, she doesn't, um, and my, my guess is probably that is in part the prophetic, you know, is that she actually right. unquestionably said, yep, here's, here's what God wants, here's what we're going to do, boom. Um, and didn't bring any of the other, I guess you'd call it fluff, <laughs> into it that, that the right. other guys do. Um, and, and like I said, and I, and I recognize you're not being compelled by that, but for me it is still kind of integral to her leadership and why would people listen to her? Well, part of why they were maybe willing to listen to her was because she was viewed as a prophet, yeah. um, which, which gave her a bit of a higher standing and, you know, had a, a certain wisdom that they were much more willing to, to listen to than they would maybe a, quote, just normal woman. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly she wasn't a normal woman because if she would have been, she wouldn't have been in that position. Yeah, but I mean, her reality is she is a woman living in a man's world. And so how does she have to operate? Well, she has to operate like a man. You know, it's, it's, this, is, this is the way she has to be in order to operate in that world. Um, they didn't have a big professional army. They used guerrilla tactics, um, you know, these small little defensive forces that weren't equipped with all the chariots and everything else that the Canaanites had. Um, so she kind of has to use, like, her, her cunning, her... Um, deception, which, you know, you mentioned last week, you're surprised at how many, you know, ways women <laughs> have had to deceive. Well, it's part of the way we fight. Um, we may not be as physically, but, you know, we, we use these other gifts, <laughs> so to speak, of surprise. And can we use our brains to, to find ways around... Um, in the world that, that we have been kind of um, subjugated into. Right. And so, okay, this is, quote, a man's world. How do we operate if we want to make any headway? And part of that is to, quote, behave like a man, do, do the man things. Um, but it's also she is someone who is calling men to their responsibilities. They were not willing to do what needed to be done. And she had to step up and basically kind of be like, really? <laughs> Y'all can't do this? I'm going to show you how it's done. And it's going to be a woman who's going to show you how to do it. And so, you know, for me, I kind of, you know, when I, when I see the story of Deborah, um, it, it's, she is a leader, but also becomes a model for how, how to cooperate. I mean, when she, when she leads, it isn't in order to, like, oppress anybody, et cetera, et cetera. It's, she's willing to work with the men. I, I, I like that, I like that cooperate word, 
Yeah, it's, it's cooperation. She's, yeah. she's saying, okay, you guys aren't willing to do this, fine, I will lead you, but I still need you. <laughs> you know, it's the, I, I'm not going to pretend like, I, you know, I'm just going to go do this all on my own. It's like, no, we need to cooperate. We need to work together in order to accomplish what needs to happen. Yeah, and, and that's something sorely missing in, in kingdom building um, is, that, is that sense of cooperation and working together. Yeah. And I think where, it ha where you see it, my opinion, it's disingenuous and... It's, oh, we should work together. Well, yeah, well, we should work together so that you can, and there's less cooperation than agenda-driven. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and recognizing the dangers women faced in um, warfare from the standpoint of what happened to women. Um, you know, men got killed. You know, okay, so that's, that's what happened. Um, women typically were expected, probably before they got killed, to be abused and molested, raped, etc. Yeah, I just stayed away from that. I wasn't going to go triggering. Yeah. Um, but that—that's the reality. Yeah. Of it was not something that for them. Warfare came with something worse than death in a lot of ways. I mean, if we're being honest, I don't think we need to speak in past tense. No. Still goes on. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the um, interesting part of, of the, the role that jail plays then is um, they know, you know, it's one of those things, you know what, what these leaders will do when they win. And so she still invites this guy into her tent in order to take care of him, but knowing full well what he could potentially do to her when he does that. So, I mean, there's, there's a, lot of, it's a lot of stuff <laughs> that really, really gets wrapped up in all of this, especially the violence. And that's the thing about the book of Judges, and I think that's part of why people like to skip over Joshua and Judges. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of bad things that happen, um, especially to women. And it's, it's, it's distasteful to, to read. It's, it's hard to read. It's problematic if your view is um, God only operates in, in peaceful, loving ways. <laughs> Because Joshua and Judges are going to challenge that. And a part of that is recognizing the times and, and the realities in which people lived and what was the norm and what was the, you know, how was how God operating in the midst of, of, all of all of this? So that's where I found your point about it being a book of hope yeah. so interesting. Yeah. From the standpoint of it is still God operating in there to try and, and, and I've, I know I've said this before, part of why God did not want them following other nations was and, and following other gods was because that always led to oppression. Yep. Always led to oppression. 
Yeah, and, and the, ho the hope piece comes in in the sense that you have all this, all this shit happening, like not, and not much of it good, and God is still present. Yeah. Um, you know, God is, God is still at work, and, and I think we need that reminder. You know, God, in the midst of all the, all the crap, you know, God, God is still present and God is still at work. And it's not just, um, you don't have to be perfect and do everything right in order for that to be the case. Mm -hmm. um, oh, you have to, you have to be perfect um, or, or God will, God is not on your side or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's just, Scripture does not bear that out. Yeah. Um, the Israelites were a hot mess. Oh, yeah. The disciples, the ones that Jesus handpicked. Are a hot mess. Are a hot mess. Um, maybe not quite on the scale as... <laughs> maybe not. Um, Saul slash Paul. Oh, yeah. Hot mess. A hot mess. And those are the people God choose, chose to work through. So, so this idea that you know, you have to be holier than thou for God to work through you no. is, is, not, is not borne out in Scripture. And, oh, by the way, uh, we're all a hot mess in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. And if you're sitting there listening to this or in church thinking you're not, uh, check yourself. Yeah. Because in, in, in some way, shape, or form, we all got our forms of hot messedness. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's just a reality. And, you know, and one of the things with this, like, again, like I said, this story in particular, if you juxtapose it against kind of how the end of Judges comes, is not just the unifying of the nations, but if you think about um, the unlikely human agents God is using and brings together in order to accomplish this. You have Deborah, the female military leader, prophet, etc., um, Barack, the military leader who kind of didn't want to didn't want to do this in the first place, but then kind of gets shamed into it, and, and it's like, oh, okay. And then um, Jael, who is a, a non-Israelite, um, basically wife of a, a blue-collar iron worker, plays such a vital role in this this whole victory. Um, you you bring these three very unlikely people together in order to accomplish, you know, this, this victory and, and for God's will to, you know, prevail in this particular case. Um, that it takes, it, you know, we want to make maybe the story just about Deborah, but it's not because it involves all these other people who are very unlikely people um, to be part of the, the whole thing. And I think that's maybe sometimes the part we miss too. Uh, sort of like when we were talking about the Moses story is look, it's a, it took a lot of different people to make that happen. Yeah. It wasn't just Moses. It was not just one person. He gets all the credit, but he was not going to get where he got to without all of these other, in this case, women um, doing what they did in order for him to get to that point where he's able to do what he does. Right. It, it, it takes all these, these other um, situations. 
And I love the fact that um, Deborah, um, it says she is the wife of um, Lapidus. And that can be translated as woman of fire. So we're not even sure if that's actually like a man she was married to, but she was considered a woman of fire. <laughs> and later gets considered by many, um, you know, of the, the Israelites and in Jewish tradition as she was, quote, the mother of Israel. Um, just by her leadership and, and her ability to kind of do all of these things. Um, this, this kind of charismatic leadership of that. And she also gets to um, sing the song. I talked about that, when was that, two weeks ago? Um, when Maybe Miriam, so, yeah. you know, Miriam sang the song of, of the, you know, well, in this case, Deborah gets to sing the song of Triumph which, again, was usually typically reserved for the men. Um, Maybe she had a really good voice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a f there are so many facets to it and just so such an interesting story. A lot of them do not lend themselves to um, preaching <laughs> because of the violence inherent. Yeah. Um, because of, you know, some of the other, other things that are going on that you just don't really want to get up in, on a Sunday morning and, and start pointing out. Um, but they're also very critical parts of the, of the story. I read a, a post by a church. I don't know what his, I don't know if you label him. I don't know. It, but it was something, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's something along the lines of prophets both convict and give hope. That's like the Cliff, that's like the cliff Notes version of, of the guy's quote. And it really struck me. It's like, okay, so I, the conviction part can be really easy. But how do you provide hope in the midst of it? Right. Um, like, like, and like tangible hope, mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, God will take, you know, yeah, in the end, we'll all die, and God will go to heaven. I mean, for me, that's not hope. I mean, I, I, mean, I feel, it doesn't make me hopeful. Maybe it makes me feel it's more... Why, why can't we have that here and now? Correct. It's why, why does that have wanna, to be an afterlife thing? Why, why can't we get our, our, our poop in a group and figure out how to live more justly yeah. in this world? Yeah, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait to feel hopeful. Right. I don't want to uh, wait till I'm dead. I, I, and that's, I, I believe in the resurrection. I believe, you know, I feel like I have to, you feel like you have to make the, that cliff notes or asterisk. I'm not saying I don't believe in the resurrection. The footnote what I'm at the saying bottom. is... Yes, I believe in eternal life. Yes, I that, believe in heaven. Yes, I blah, blah, Christ will come. I believe all those things. Well, yes, blah, 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 blah. Well, again, though, it's that whole, if that is what we're hoping for, why are we still, why do we not work for it here? Right. If, if that is what we're, we're like, okay, well, that's going to be my afterlife, but I'm going to live a completely different type of life here. Uh, why? Like, is it... 
<laughs> I mean, so then is, why is that your hope? That's my question. Why is, is that your hope? Is part of it just this resignation of looking in Scripture and going, my God, we really haven't changed in, you know, how many thousands, thousands of, years? of years? It's still the same story um, over and over again. And, and for me, I feel that. Like, yeah. like if you're like, man, I, I have hope in the afterlife because for thousands of years, humanity has just... Screwed failed, it up? Failed. Yep. Um, and what's to think that we're going to be any different? Right. Well, I, and I hear that. And also, if you look at in the beginning, um, we've made strides. Like, we've made strides. We're certainly not there yet. I mean, we're a more just world now than we used to be. Right. We're, we're kind of backsliding a bit right now. But, but we're not a just world, but we're a more yeah. just world than we were, you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I mentioned this, you know, briefly. You know, women are much better off today than they were thousands of years ago. Women are much better off today than they were 100 years ago. Right. Are but, we where we need to be? No. But, but we're not. But, we're not. We haven't reached equality. Um, I, yeah. It's that it's that we we've, we've made progress, but we're 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 not where we we should or need to be. You know, race relations. Yeah, you know what? People better. of people of color have it better than they did, but not equal. Um. So I so I guess I guess there's a glimmer of hope in that. Um. There should be a glimmer and hope in the fact that, you know. God is present in the midst of, in the midst of our mess, and and it's not something we have to earn. Um, and this whole notion of of beating people up over it, and pretending that if you don't take everything wholesale, um, hook, line, and sinker, that you're not worthy or you're you're evil or whatever. I mean that, it's just not it's just not accurate. Yeah. Um, I, I always find it interesting, and I, I think I've mentioned this in other podcasts um, before, but so I was, a, and, and given Nichelle Nich Nichols just died, um, who used to play um, Uhura in Star Trek, and you know she was going to leave the series, and Martin Luther King Jr. called her up and said, you cannot leave that series. She was like, why? She's like, you are our representation. And people need to see a future where a black woman is serving right alongside everybody else. And that was kind of the vision of, of Star Trek from the beginning, you know, was that it, 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 it incorporated all, all of basically what we would, especially during the 60s, would have considered, you know, enemies, so to speak. Um, you had uh, Uhura, who was black. You had Sulu, who was Asian. You had um, Chekhov, who was Russian. So you had all of these, you know, it was, and it brought together into a future where they were all working together. Now, what I found interesting, I always find interesting about this is somehow, though, we always have to find some enemy that we fight against. 
So it became the Klingons and the, you know, it's like, okay, other species, other, you know, things. And it's like somehow humanity just has this need that, okay, we'll all unite, but when we unite, we've still got to find somebody to be mad at and fight against. And I was I'm, like, I'm sorry, I fell asleep when you started talking about Star Trek. You're a jerk. <laughs> You're a total jerk. <laughs> I, like, I just don't get the whole Star Trek thing. It was, a, it was supposed to be a vision of, our, you know, of, of a hopeful future. Believe it or not, that was the whole idea. Was it was supposed to be this vision of we've gone beyond, uh, gone beyond needing money, we've gone beyond greed, we've gone beyond all of that, where it's we all work together for the common good. Okay. Yeah. I'll take was, that. Yeah. I totally missed that, but... Yeah, no, the whole, the whole concept was we work together for the common good. Um, people don't, quote, earn salaries anymore. It's just, you know, this is, this is what you do in life. And, you know, you follow what you feel called to do or whatever. And that is your role and your station and the things that you do. And things are just, you know, provided. Of course, you have um, replicators. So you never have a food problem because you can just replicate your food. So no one ever goes hungry, um, you know. <laughs> Um, it was a kind of a utopian vision for humanity, is, is what it was. All right, I can buy that. And and but the interesting part was, in every um, iteration of of the Star Trek universe, they always had to go through. So it was in between where we are now and where Star Trek takes place, there has to be some kind of devastating event, like a nuclear war, that throws us into chaos before we finally make progress. I always found that also an interesting, this, this notion of we can't seem to get there unless something like totally devastates us to get our attention. So that was my thought earlier. Um, I don't remember what we were talking about earlier. I was talking I, about the Civil War. Uh, yeah, no, but the no. Judges I, that... No, I mean, earlier I, was, I had that thought. Um, I don't know what we were talking about then. Oh. And then we started going in another direction, and I never came back to it. But my, my question was kind of, what has to happen for the church to be unified? Right. And I cannot answer that. So our country was unified after 9-11 but not in a healthy sense, because we just took all of our, all of our um, angst and all of our trauma and all of our hurt and all of our sadness and manifested it into discrimination against um, anyone from the Middle East. Um, so we were unified, but. But, but we were unified not in a, not in a, in a peaceful sense. We just found someone else. Instead of, instead of being ticked off at each other, we just said, hey, it's, it's those Muslims. Um, and that's where we directed all of our, all of our anger. Um, so, I mean, what, do, like, what does it take? And I have an answer on the tip of my tongue. What does it take for the church to pull together? And the only thing I can come up with is literally the second coming of Christ. Because yeah. I, do, I don't know what happens that unifies the church. Because the Christian right um, is not going to agree with what the Christian left would say would be unified, and the Christian left is not going to agree with the Christian right um, as to what is unifying. And, and, and in the reality, 
Christ, in Christ there isn't a Christian right or a Christian left, but we've we put ourselves in this Christian right and Christian left um, position and... That we're somehow pitted against each other now instead yeah. of... And here we are. Yeah, coming together and recognizing we, we need to work together. Yeah. We, so I, we need I, to find common ground. And I don't, know, I don't know where we find that. I, I, yeah. I, I truly don't. I'm, I'm, I'm literally at a loss. Well, and, and it's hard because, um, you know, it's one of those things, well, well, compromise is needed. And it's like, I agree, but there are some things that I don't know that it's good to compromise on, like the value of a human life, the, right. the, the, the value say, of human dignity, of um, treating other human beings as human beings. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, issue, the issues that the church is divided on right now... Um, are issues of oppression. Yeah, so we have, we have LGBTQ issues that, that really split the, right, the Christian right and the Christian left, mm -hmm. and, and abortion, those two issues. Yeah. And racial issues. Yeah, and I don't know where the common ground is in those. So I, 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 don't, I, don't, know, I don't know what, what, what unifies the, the church. Um, or how, or how, we, how we get there. Yeah. Because both are pretty strongly committed to their perspectives. And I, I, and I, don't, like I don't know where that middle ground is. Um, and, and, and maybe the middle ground, the only middle ground I can, and I'm not saying it's middle ground, is to just simply say, you do you. But the problem is, when That's not do, how it gets played out. It's not how it gets played out. No, it, it gets and, forced on others. And people are literally affected. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, well, yeah, it's one thing to have that, that perspective. It's one thing to, you know, say, okay, this is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to organize ourselves. Okay. Um, but when you then take that and want to force others to conform to that, yeah. There's, there's the problem. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Um, well, so much for hopeful on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where that's, that's the struggle with judges is because it is such a dark book. Um, when you said it's a book of hope, it, it really did sort of take me off guard because I was like, oh. And I, and, and I, and I had to, though, automatically go, but okay, I get it. I said, I mean, God is still working yeah. in the middle of all that mess. When I read, and even as they just keep descending and getting worse and worse, God is still there and still working. And eventually, the solution they come up with for themselves is to get a king. Yeah. Which God's like, that's really not the solution you want, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And, that's, and that's, that was striking to me, too. I'm like, book of hope. I'm like, okay, let me... All right, like I, I see it. I can work with that. I can work with that. Yeah. And, and and part I, this week was a struggle because I I think partially I needed something hopeful. Like there had to be something hopeful somewhere, and I don't know. It's it's. It yeah. I don't know. It, and it and it's hard again when you're. Um, kind of looking for hopeful things, and it's in the form of a militaristic... Um, 
at a time when we're talking about Christian spiritual warfare. Right. Yeah. Like, seriously, come on. Yeah. And like I said, recognizing, yes, God worked in the midst of that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that God's future vision involves war. I, I think it's kind of the, the point, because when you get finally kind of, you, you get to Jesus, he sort of wants to leave that part behind, you, you know. <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, you know, there, there is that language used in the New Testament as well. Um, putting on the shield, of, you know, and the armor of God and all that kind of stuff is military language, which can get kind of, I don't know if confusing is the right word for that, but um, maybe misunderstood from the standpoint of because the imagery that Paul is choosing to use is militaristic type of imagery, then we start viewing it that way as well. And something I always find interesting is, you know, Paul, Paul makes the statement is, look, our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's with the, the, you know, spiritual powers, blah, blah, blah. But it's interesting how that, quote, spiritual warfare gets lived out in the flesh and blood. Right. And it attacks the flesh and blood people. And, and they become the casualties. Even though that's technically, apparently, not what we're fighting. Um, and yet that seems to be the, the, the result of some of those fights. Um, and... Again, I think we, that gets us back into that, that question of what is liberation, what is freedom, et cetera, et cetera. Is it freedom to do everything I want to do? Um, or is it freedom to live in community together um, where, where no one is oppressed by someone else? And what does that even look like? Do we know how to live that way, I guess is my question. Do we know how to live in such a way where one group is not somehow either exploiting or oppressing another group? And will we ever get there? <laughs> right. Um, you know, do, do we ever get to that point? I mean, according to God, we do. Now, it takes more than just us. It takes God. And I think that's one of the things, um, one of the lessons of judges to remember is, yes, God is at work. It takes an act of God. But what does God use? People. Yeah. Uses people. Now, yeah. granted, in judges, very imperfect people. <laughs> well, all through scripture. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I can't. I just look at especially in judges. You but know, I mean, the, but I mean, the judges you, wind up being some pretty shady characters. If you, yeah. if you take scripture, or if you take Jesus out of the equation. Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all a little shady. They're all a mess. Yeah. They're, they're all, all a mess. All shady characters. Because guess what? We're all a mess. Yeah. You know, so this idea, I, I mean, that we're not is, is, is a joke. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm done. 
<laughs> okay, on that note. Well, I mean, I mean, either, either that or we go for another half hour rant. Yeah, no, I mean, going in circles, yeah. Yeah. Um, so next week, or this coming week, end, um, I'm actually going to go backwards a little bit in time. Um, I'm going to go back to a daughter of Ephraim, who was one of the sons of Joseph. Um, she only gets a very brief mention, but part of why she gets mentioned is she is um, mentioned because she builds three cities. Again, something you don't see happening very often in the ancient world um, is a woman being in charge of planning and building entire cities. <laughs> right. Um, so this little tiny mention uh, is uh, of, of this one lady, but I, I kind of am going to go through sort of the enduring legacy that she actually left behind um, that we're very unfamiliar with. I, I guarantee most people have not heard this story and have not paid attention to, because you don't, the only place you find it is in First Chronicles. In what? First Chronicles. Which no one reads. Is that Narnia? No. Oh. Um, no one reads it. They might read First and Second Kings, but they very rarely will go read First and Second um, Chronicles because it's kind of a um, rehash of both First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, um, kind of all smashed together, and goes through lots of begats which people just kind of glaze over when you I'm not a begatter. When you, when you get into the begats. But there's some really intriguing things sometimes when you get into the begats, like um, Shira, um, which we can call the princess of power, you know. <laughs> From, remember the, the, the He-Man counterpart? Yep. Yeah, was Shira. This was her name, was Shira. Um, just gets this tiny little one-verse mention. And yet... There's this lasting legacy that, I, that like, no one's aware of. And so I'm going to talk about her on Sunday. Cool. Yeah. And Saturday. Fun. Lots of fun. Yeah, and Saturday night. So, all right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, Bye -bye. everybody.